Welcome to the Artificially Unintelligent Podcast, where we, William and Nikolai, discuss research and how one can apply AI in real life. We are your unintelligent hosts and hope to spark your interest in AI. So please sit back, enjoy a good cup of coffee or other beverage of your choice, and let's dive right in. So welcome back. Today we have like our third session in a new format. So before we did one one session on research where we discussed a new research paper, then we also did another session on more of the applied side where we just discussed like the future of the data scientists of the job fields. In this session, you can expect like how a job looks like, but also how to use certain tools. We actually plan to do a session on poetry soon. And today we do the third session, which is more like news based. So basically new interesting libraries coming out, new model launches by the different companies, by OpenAI, by Google, DeepMind, by all the different research studios. So basically just interesting stuff we found the past week. Exactly. And as Nicola said, uh, this quickly. is this is really an episode for all the AI enthusiasts out there to just get up to speed with what's going on in the world of AI. And we'll try to highlight some of the topics that we really find interesting. Yeah, and we will put anything like to dive down deeper into the different sections in into the show notes. Yeah, so let's kick it off. Mine will be pretty like open AI focus because they launched so much in the last week. So the first one is DALI 3, uh, which is basically their image generation model or then new iteration of the image generation model where you basically you can enter a text prompts or you can also ask it to generate ideas and then based on your prompt it generates you an image and i think most of us know midjourney from the discord server where you can use their image model the main difference is that you firstly it's way better at instruction following than midjourney but at the same time you have to be really descriptive in your prompt so you really have to tell it what exactly you want and it generates it and you even can set different scenes so you can say for example one one thing that i've seen is like on the side like you put like a food court and on the left there is like a pass walk with a bunch of people talking on it and it really follows the instructions to a t and you even can place text within it so it's quite powerful and in my opinion, it's quite a boost from Midjourney because my use cases are actually more applied. I want to generate logos or real settings and stuff like that. And the instruction following is really great, even if the image quality isn't as good as in Midjourney. And also I think like the UX is better because you have the chat interface you're already used to. And it's also really iterative. You can iterate in the chat on the images and give it like when prompting DALI 3, what, what it uh, you talked about, it can take longer input text, or, but you still need to be descriptive. What, how long should one, what should an input text be like? And what, what's a common length of such a text? Is, so for me, I always started simple where so for example we have i have one example where you generate maps and i would just tell it yeah generate a map of europe and then i will look at what the output is and i will think about okay what do i want adjusted what do i want differently but what do i want to keep and based on that i generate a bigger prompt so i would go more on like an iterative side give feedback on it and make it longer and longer 
in a production setting where I'm taking the images and serving it to users, um, the prompts will be pretty big. Um, so like in ChatGPT, if you're deploying a model with a custom prompt, the prompts are something like 650 words or something like that. So it really depends. But on most use cases... For programming and simple, software engineering, and what, uh, the, what impact does the DALI models have? Can they help you code and what idea generation could they support with and stuff like that? So for me, it's mostly about the like my front end stuff where I want to use it for generation of logos, but also generation of just website designs where I take inspiration from generation from like thumbnails, for example, for our podcast. Um, so you can think really broad, but for me, it's not like about the real engineering, but more of the different design stuff where you usually need like an okay. extra design. Yeah, no, very cool. And how can people access it or where should people go? Is it free for all or how do people go about? I'm not sure about when it's launched completely. So I have access in the better futures. It should come soon for everyone yeah. which has. So there you go, people. Dali 3, the new model is out. OpenAI is launching a bunch of stuff every week. And most of their stuff up until now has been really good. So we just urge you to check out what they are doing because they are top engineers working on these uh, really cool problems. Yeah. Um, I think today we're going to jump a bit like between topics. So we're talking about generative AI. I will go into the realm of data science right now, I would say, and bring up the new version of XGBoost, the 2.0 version. So for all the data scientists out there, you will probably know about XGBoost. It's a boosted tree-based model, which means that it's learns from a lot of its past mistakes and try to improve its performance over time. Uh, it's also an assemble learner. So it uses so many weak learners to try to justify or predict for certain tasks, combined all of its efforts into one specific output. But the new 2.0 version is very efficient to begin with. It has um, quite good integration or you can easily change or switch between CPU and GPU. Um, it has various methods for calculating split points in the decision trees on a GPU level. One of the main integrations or uh, developments here is the histogram based um, tree based method. And this has been made the default Basically, what you need to know about this is that it's a very efficient sort of algorithm. It speeds up computation by a lot and the performance does not decrease at all. When do you really need a GPU for XGBoost? Is it for training as well, think, or is it especially um, for? I mean, it depends obviously on how large your data is. For example, I would say, and if you really want to speed things up, and if you, um, then then I, I so from my own experience, it works so much better on GPU. Like it goes so much faster. Basically, that's just the main thing here. I would say, uh, but there there might be some other benefits to it, but it's just. Yeah. Um, First of all, tree-based models are quite fast compared to larger nets and having them run on a GPU, the training time is minimal in my experience. 
And yeah, so so one of the points that I've written down here is for? its Visiting own federated learning integration. So everyone might know by now that I am working with federated learning, which is a decentralized privacy aware sort of machine learning technique. And now XGBoost has its own integration for this uh, specific task here. So basically you can learn from distributed data sets and just apply the XGBoost model to the data sets in hand and let it run. And it's very efficient. I played around with it this morning. So yeah, it's great in my opinion. I love it. So yeah, that's XGBoost. Uh, everyone who doesn't know it should uh, try out some base case Perfect. Titanic data set we talked about last time. And, yeah, check it out. Yeah, exactly. So I think the creator or the maintainers, by, is, like the organization is called something like DMLC. Um, XGBoost was created back in, when was that? 2014, 2015 by researchers at Microsoft. It's just a great algorithm for tabular data or structured data that you might have in your Excel tables. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Going back. So let's jump to the next one. Another open AI one. So it's, so it's called GPT-4V. So basically it's the vision model. So they added new features on top of ChatGPT. So basically it can read in, interpret and analyze pictures now. For me, the capabilities are nice so far, aren't really impressive yet, so it makes quite a few mistakes. So they tried it out on medical question answering, which you shouldn't do for scientific question answering. So for example, graphs, system diagrams of different papers, where it works quite well already, but also for stuff like solving captures. But for me, the most interesting one they did is actually using it as multimodal AI for blind people where they enable blind people to interpret different pictures, graphs, diagrams, whatever, and put it out as a, a text-to-speech model, which for me was rather the interesting applications because it makes the life so much easier for different blind people. And I think it already hints a little bit to the future where we are going, that we will move more and more towards multimodal models and especially any-to-any -any models. The input can be any modality, pictures, audio, text, video, but the output also can be any modality. So it can be a picture, it can be a voice message, it can be just text. And this is something I think I'm really excited for. And I expect- Do you the think, to so really OpenAI is committed to launching new models every, what is it, six months in a, very specific time frame, they come up with a new model. Um, do you think that this is going to be the next and uh, vision-based inputs and outputs? I mean, we have already seen that with GPT-4, you know, making it more accessible to the broader audience. Yeah, at the moment, I'm not sure because I think they are waiting with the next training iteration on the NVIDIA GPUs, um, which they don't have access yet. And they mentioned that they're waiting for them. Okay, so, so if delivered, anyone wants to, like, the what's the input the format here? Do you just submit a, does it scrape the web for images? Or do you send in a JPEG or a, what? Yeah, 
in the end you just do a file upload or you drop if, it in if you if you were to use it if, would you use it for anything specific like let's say drop an image and or it, have it analyze i don't know maybe for example satellites imagery could be one and then have the model interpret it for let's say And so for me, I mostly used it for like the scientific question answering, which is more a use case I wanted to use on, have it interpreted graphs, system diagrams, how does it work, generate a description of the system, but you can use it for a bunch of stuff. So medical question answering, I've seen a few examples where I just uploaded basically a description or like a photo of some kind of treatment or something like that, and just ask it to to generate it in text and explain it. And I think this will be like a next step also where we use it for like more OCR type of task, where instead of actually copy pasting or entering the information okay. by hand, yeah. you just take a photo When do you think it will be launched? When do you think questions. they will release it? You said in like a couple of months or when they get their NVIDIA GPUs. Yeah, could take a while. So they don't really have a launch date yet. I think for most of the newer models, they don't really announce it. But like a small warning, it's still prone to hallucinations or inventing facts. I think like this, we will probably see this happening um, on it. not regularly, but it will, of course, it will hopefully get less and less as we progress. But for now, these sort of hallucinations are in your opinion, would you say they are common or they just happen when it comes to certain uh, input data? In the end, it's a stochastic model. So we want it to have some form of hallucinations. They're built into the model. They're purposeful. And basically the model, the world model it has isn't perfect, but it isn't perfect for humans as well. You also often get wrong, uh, wrong explanations. And I think we will see improvements on that uh, over time, especially they now added back Google search, which can make the model more grounded because it has access to like new information, but also it can extract facts from okay websites, yeah i think we discussed this briefly in another session or another um, podcast episode about multimodalities and the future of it i was very excited for the audio input and output uh, especially when it comes to coding you said uh, let's see <laughs> if it really works out like that i, th I think multimodalities is the way to and on that note i would uh, maybe proceed to my second point which is um RTX, which uh, I think I found the information from Google Deep, at least that's where I uh, read the information. And it is a collection of uh, data sets and uh, a new model from that has been constructed based on data sets from, I think, 33 different labs. So let me check it quickly. Yeah, 33 academic labs, and they pulled data from 22 different robot types to create this, the OpenX embodiment data set and the new RTX model. So the objective or the questions that the researchers were asking themselves are the, is that robots are great specialists, but very poor generalists. And this is what they want to try to solve. And this is similar to what you mentioned when it comes to OpenAI's effort on 
bringing in the new modalities and trying to generalize, getting a better world model, so to say. So what they did here, the dataset OpenX embodiment dataset includes more than 500 skills and 150,000 tasks. So some of the skills and tasks include like picking up something, moving something, pushing, placing, pointing towards something and etc. And um, the RTX model builds on two models that Google DeepMind had already which is one, I think it's called RTX one, which is a real world robotic control, basically at scale, like how do you move your arms? How do you point and so on and so forth. And then the second model is a vision language action model. So, you know, if you tell it to do something, it also has to see what it's doing, where to point that, what to place where, and so on. Um, and they showed with this new model that they are 50% more successful than other baseline models on, you know, various sort of benchmarks and so on. And some emergent skills that they saw from training on shared data is basically that they can now give it different sort of prompts or, you know, instructions. So put an object near the object and not just to the other object, place the ball next to the box and not just um, on top of it or having it touch uh, the box, let's say. Uh, and this was something that their model couldn't do before, but using different sort of input, they got to this realization. And they state in the information here that we need a lot of input data for such general tasks and one different, one lab cannot do it by itself, basically. Yeah. How do um, they account for could, the different hardware of the different robots? It seems like they have, because it's a collection of different robot types, each robot type probably has a different hardware, like different grasping mechanism, different arms and stuff I see. Like that. Uh, yeah, so I think How this is kind of embedded like, in the first model that, that I was talking about, control. which is the kind of generalist robotic control model that learns more or that understands what is its limitations. Let's say it has, it is a robotic arm, like how can it twist, how can it move and so on? Can it, can it point, let's say, um, but I, I'm not sure how much variability there is or whether most of it is just based on robotic arms or how much is actually on wheels, let's say. Yeah, this would be quite interesting, like as an extension, especially how the model can learn a new yeah, hardware. Yeah, so I, I think there should be some instructions or some underlying some instructions, you know, that like when that. you deploy it on some sort of hardware, it's kind of already know like, okay, the physics and the dimensions of my being or as a robotic arm or as a vehicle or whatever you have. Um, but yeah, really cool uh, new data sets and models out there. So for yeah. anyone who is really interested in robotics, please watch this, go on their YouTube, go on their um, blog posts and so on. I highly recommend it.
Nice. Okay, lastly, the Canva AI suite. Um, this is probably more interesting for people who want to build with AI and build applications. As a good example of how to integrate AI features, um, especially in an existing tool. And Canva basically built a set of tools like a magic switch, magic edit, uh, which basically is using different AIs to perform a certain action. So for, for example, the magic switch transforms designs across formats and languages. A magic ride is just text generation. But uh, magic design for presentations drafts a complete presentation for you. Um, magic Animate creates one-click animations for your presentation. So basically, they created a bunch of different models which are performing different actions. And I think it shows how you can integrate AI into existing apps, but also how you should build with AI. So it's centered around that people start to build a tool for a certain functionality and embed AI into it and bundle up different tools in the background, like ChatGPT for the generation, some other vision models for the creation of the images, and just basically show it as a feature with one click where it's applied and the user doesn't really grasp the complexity behind it. So the AI just disappears into the background. And I think this is something we will see more and more of that the generative AI hype really simmers down a little bit and it will disappear more and more into the background as in actual tools we will use. Yes, and basically the implications for it, what we will see in the Magic Studio and in general, if you use that, is basically an increased accessibility of the different tools, improved efficiency also. So basically anyone can use the Canva now and especially create good presentation and good designs. And lastly, a little bit of a enhanced creativity through the Magic Studio. So I was talking for a while now. Did you get a chance to check out the Canva, like the tool? Yeah, the Canva I did, scripture? but I haven't really, I haven't really tried it out for a couple of months. So I don't know about the latest features, to be honest. Yeah, so you should check it out. I think it's like so easy now to make like really good looking pro level content without uh, yeah. science. Yeah, the last time I tried it was basically text to image. You know, like when you want something, I was creating some slides for the R&D department that told me I wanted some robots moving around in the slide and you just basically prompt it and it generates it for you. So, but it, yeah, yeah, Canva is definitely, I personally try to move from uh, from PowerPoint to Canva because I don't know, Ricket also want to support the Australian tech scene. That's where it's from, I think. Um, so yeah. Do you use it also in yes. your daily life a um, lot? So yeah. Canva, a bunch. So most of the presentations I do and most of the designs, if I want to throw in something quickly, I use Canva. If I want to make something a little bit more pretty, um, where will actually spend okay. more effort yeah. than I'm using Figma. Yeah, I suppose if you're a bit more into graphical design, then Figma is the way to go. But Canva is, it has a lot of nice integrations. It's a bit like Notion, but for slides, I'd say. Yeah. In general, like content creation, just go with yeah, Canva. Sounds you're good. Unless your it. company has some you know, strict policy that you need to use some old PowerPoint slides from the 90s and these are the way to go still because it's very standardized. Be a rebel and use Canva instead. <laughs>
Yeah, nice. So maybe some two quick shoutouts by me. One I really like is like Hotshot XL, which is a text to GIF model. So you now can create your GIFs just based on text, which I think is really cool. And a new paper, which is called Attention Sinks. Um, we actually could do a deep dive on that one, which basically uses caching of the initial and the recent tokens to speed up inference, like uh, approximately like 20 times faster but also to enable like infinite generation uh, because you don't run out of a context. Two cool, very, two, two things that are very cool. Regarding the GIFs, do you think that will up the meme game by another, I don't know, 100% basically? <laughs> yeah, okay. It could be, yes, could be. Not meme yeah. game because yeah, it's, it's like cult when you get into it, it's just really fun. One shout out from my side, I think I cannot remember the source exactly, but there was someone who had published material on how AI agents are basically as good as professional reviewers for research papers and so on. I'm not sure what the implications are here, whether they will take over the reviewer's job, but I don't know. Reviewing is actually quite a tedious task, to be honest. It's, of course, very important, but it's also... I don't know. I feel like personally, there's a lot of bias when it comes to reviewing. Some reviewers might not have as much time at hand and you also don't get paid for it. So, you know, and it's like as soon as you can find something to then basically reject the paper or can be like that. Yeah. We will link to have the paper also seen in, it? in the show notes because it's really uh, good. Yeah, I've already read it. OK, yeah, um, it's really nice. But yeah, this was a fun session. This was our first. Um, news in AI. I hope you uh, that everyone liked it. And we'll definitely do another one of these and try to come up with really cool topics. Please let us know if there's anything you want us to discuss so that if there are any news that we might miss out on, but we'll try to include uh, what we find really interesting and important in the show notes and uh, so that you can see them. See you soon. Have a good day. Perfect. See you soon, buddy.